Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. We're not, not always weekly at the moment due to life uh, and such things. Uh, but hey, we've still got a lot to talk about, uh, given that, well, we won again after losing, which was surprising, but losing a game that literally no one including Mikel Arteta seemed to give a flying f about uh so anyway to talk about the winning because that's what I'm more interested in primarily is Paul Williams how are you Paul very well mate thank you how are you I am yeah I'm all right a bit tired but that's what parenthood does to you uh, I'm sure anyone listening who's got kids can uh can relate but anyway no one wants to hear about me being tired or having children they want to hear about Arsenal Football Club and before we start talking too much about ourselves I just want to play this Anyway, that is the uh, rather incredible Bambino Pons, uh, a South American commentator, who basically sings bits of his commentary to tunes you know. So that was him singing about Erdegaard's second goal. Uh, translated, it all makes perfect sense, uh, and even grammatically so, to obviously the tune of Ode to Joy. I thought, was that a seasonal reference to Die Hard within the commentary? Can I just say, yeah, I pay a lot of money for our Sky subscription, and we never get that on Sky, so... Uh... Yeah, they're missing. I might write to. I might write to them to ask why. <laughs> Apparently, he does it for all kinds of different matches. Uh, but yeah, I was I was suitably impressed when I heard that because it's all live in the moment, and it and yeah, the translation it all is just commentary. <laughs> talking about he basically talking about how the Norwegian is scoring the second goal and Arsenal, uh, uh, you know, this will help Arsenal achieve their ambitions and you know, uh, yeah. Anyway, all good stuff anyway so that was uh a key reflects the key moment of the game yesterday because we're recording this on a sunday uh and strangely enough uh the super captain uh, for captain fantastic had two key moments in the game and uh to make himself arsenal's top goal scorer in the premier league this season so far uh which i don't think anyone would have anticipated coming into the season um but before we get on to him what did you make of the the totality of the game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. So, as you know, I was in a pub yesterday. Uh, it was Joe's sister's 50th birthday, but brilliantly, her husband had arranged a surprise party in O'Neill's. So <laughs> I could have been in the restaurant. I could have been in a pub without the football. But as it happened, we did have football. Um Various people seemed quite intent on blocking my view of the telly for some reason. I mean... You know, can't think why. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so it's kind of difficult to get a handle on it as it happens, although it seemed to me that Arsenal had quite a lot of the ball and Wolves were looking to do what ev- everyone does against us now and just hit the ball into the channels that the two fullbacks have vacated because they're sitting in midfield. Mm. Uh, but Saliba and Gabriel largely dealt with that quite well. Um also, it seemed, and I think having watched the game back today, that's still how I felt. I mean, um, I guess there's the Wolves penalty incident that I'm sure hmm. we'll talk about uh, in a minute. But um, I thought first half, we yeah, we can. It was one of those classic sterile domination 
kind of things. Obviously, we created a couple of chances in the first half, but not. it just all felt quite pedestrian. Mm-hmm. But then in the second half, um, you know, they did start to move the ball quicker. And I think, obviously, scoring the goal early in the second half um, opened the game up for us. And um, yeah. it was quite nice, actually. I don't know if you got to see it, but there was a stat... Um, towards the middle of the second half, which basically Wolves have scored no goals in the last half an hour of any of their games this season. Yes. So although you always have that language, oh, what if? Um, it felt reasonably safe. And then, of course, uh, once uh, Erdegaard sent that South American commentator singing, game over, really. Well, particularly as uh, I think there's also a stat going around that... Uh... Arsenal haven't conceded any goals in the last either 15 or 20 minutes in any games this season either. Uh, so, you know, there are two stats combining to create quite a, a, a rosy picture. And we seem, we seem to have finally evolved beyond being the team that exists purely to make stats end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've, we've well, got, we've obviously, gone, there's we've, quite a big stat going around about the Premier League and Arsenal's position in it. So uh, we'll, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> But but if nothing else, regardless what happens in the longer term, we are no longer the uh, the archetypal purveyors of the so and so or such and such a team hasn't scored in such and such a period of time. <laughs> so all right, lads, we're here, um, which seemed to be our role uh, for many a Mustafi. Um, but yeah, uh, as you say, the first half was comfortable, but. Mm, not particularly threatening uh, and and it's notable that as you alluded to all the players interviewed after the match basically said that the halftime message was move the ball quicker move the ball quicker <laughs> and that was basically what what made made the difference um and the second half was a wonderful continuation of this theme we're starting to develop of basically almost total control for the vast majority of a half of football you know wolves in the second half didn't offer very much i mean they, you know their bigger problem not so much is the inability to break forward but the inability to ever score any of their chances um but they weren't even getting into that many threatening positions until very late on where it was a, a bit sort of well desperation but even then they weren't looking they weren't creating things uh, as evidenced by the XG in the game, which was, again, another game where Arsenal have kept their opponents to less than one expected goal, uh, which has been so much of a theme this season. I think there's been, what, two, three, four, five, six, six games all season where the opposing team, in all competitions, where the opposing teams have had one or more expected goal against us. Um, uh, you know, I know XG isn't the be-all and end-all, but uh, as it doesn't take into account the quality of people's ability to score, convert chances. But um, this is another one where the opposition were expected to score less than a goal against us, and they successfully achieved that. And it's another game where we were expected to score a couple of goals, and we successfully achieved that. Um, which so. In a way, that's kind of reassuring. Uh, obviously, longer term, we want to be outperforming our XG rather more than we have been in of late. But the fact that that continues to be in our favour all the time you know, is incredibly positive. Um, I mean, admittedly, you know, no one's been quite as toothless against us as Chelsea were. <laughs> uh, 
genuinely they have the 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 lowest expected goals total against us of any team in any match this season only to do or be almost as crap against newcastle but at least in again i guess against newcastle chelsea were in in the game quotation marks but yeah this was not exciting professional effective controlled very mature yeah i think I was kind of thinking to myself last night, uh, uh, well, more this morning, I, I woke up feeling quite glad that we'd won the game because if we hadn't, I would have still watched it back yeah. just to get a proper view on it. But watching it back, knowing that we'd won, made it a lot easier to get through the first half. When I say that, I, you know, I think, um, you know, the start Arsenal have had to the season, I'm sure we'll talk about that in a wider context um, later, but, you know, away games in the Premier League are not easy wherever you're going. Um, and I think, we, you know, we saw that at Southampton uh, last month. We saw it at Leeds. Um, so <laughs> I was talking to James Craddock, who actually went to the game last night. Um, I've got a nice bit of information from him uh, later on. But... He was saying to me before the game, he was like, oh, I've got a bad feeling about this. But I think so much of that bad feeling is almost predicated on Arsenal team's past, but also yeah. what was at stake for us yesterday. Um, you know, to go to the World Cup and the Christmas break top of the league is one thing. To do it, having taken advantage of... Manchester City losing at home to Brentford. The Mighty Bees. The Mighty Bees, uh, you know, as I said on Twitter, I've always had a soft spot for that lot. Um, you know, so if last night felt like a really big game, and actually I think um, we controlled it. We controlled it in a way that almost, oh God, I'm loathe to mention the guy's name, but it was like a Mourinho-Chelsea performance. You know, the 2005 version of Chelsea. When when they still attempted to go forward occasionally, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think um, I'm starting to wonder whether Gabriel Jesus is going to score another goal for us ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the way he put away that chance... Um, where he was offside, tells you he does still know where the goal is. It's just not quite happening for him at the moment. I think, as Arteta said after the game, what he gives the team outside of putting the ball in the back of the net is, I thought in the summer it could be transformational for us, and it has been. Yeah, and, and, and to be fair, he also blasted the bar with a chance he created out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, I mean, yeah. Obviously, the, the, the goal, the goal drought. TM is is weighing on his mind a bit, but the fact is, he's still getting into positions. He's still creating things for his teammates, and he's still basically making the lives of opposition defenders absolute hell. So, yes, his goals record is not where it should be for a player uh, in his position in this team, but his goals plus assist record is a different kettle of fish and is pretty, pretty damn good. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, not up there with Harry Kane um, <laughs> and his uh, continued ability to, to be 
basically given whatever he wants by any referee in the Premier League because there's no way his goal yesterday should have start, stood uh, in in the uh, fortuitous win for Spurs over Leeds United um, because basically two Spurs players simultaneously took out the Leeds goalkeeper from a corner and Hurricane's like, oh, I'll put the ball in the empty net. How lovely. Good finish. Don't get me wrong. But uh, shouldn't have stood. Um, but anyway... That's the two very different types of players. And I'm, although Harry Kane is a, a brilliant goal scorer and good at linking play, I, I'm still pretty happy with what we're getting from our front man anyway. So I'm not going to look too endlessly across across uh, the Seven Sisters Road. Oh, of course, of course not. You know, um, I think I said the last time we spoke, I'd, I'd 100% rather have Gabriel Jesus than Harry Kane. And I'm not just saying that because we've got him. I think he's an incredible footballer. And also, I actually think he was in the theme of the last month a little bit unlucky with the chance that he put off the bar because mm. when the pass came into him from Saka, um, he actually slipped as he was running onto it. And I think if he doesn't slip, he doesn't have to go as wide and then he doesn't have to cut in. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or... Or just another way to look at that, maybe, is he might have taken the shot first time if he was feeling a bit more confident. I don't know, but it's just not quite happening for him in front of goal. But, you know, I think we've scored, is it 12 goals in our last five games? Something like that? Something like that looks Yeah, so... I think the uh, the greasing of the wheels that he does in attack. I mean, yeah, we looked at Lacazette last season and was talking about what he was doing in terms of linking the play together. And this is another level. Yeah. Oh, totally. God. I mean, it's 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 the fact that he's a as is key to the way that Arteta's got this team playing is a true multifunctional footballer. I mean, you know, you look at what we've had there. In, in, in recent years, we've had Aubameyang, you know, great off the ball, great goal scorer because he gets into absolutely elite at getting into goal scoring positions if he's in an in attacking team. Offers, apart from a brief period where he's playing on the left and was working his nuts off, but generally offers very little beyond that. And then you had Laka, who by the end, for all his Trojan effort, basically couldn't just couldn't cover the ground anymore. Uh, and was running through treacle quite a lot. And even before that, has never quite had that physicality, the dynamism, or indeed just the ability to go for 90 minutes that Gabriel Jesus has. But even you go but long before that, you know, Oli Giroud, underrated player, but nothing like the mobility uh, and ability to press defenders. And, you know, the last striker we've had who brings us anything like as broad a skill set to the Arsenal front line was, was a certain gentleman whose little boy inside wanted to go to Manchester. Um, the less said about that, the better. And it's n no coincidence that, you know, it's only the second time since that little gen that little boy left us that we found ourselves sitting top of the league after more than just a, a handful of games. Um and as 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 Clive Palmer has said on on the Arsenal Vision podcast and many times elsewhere, no doubt, you're only as good as your strikers, and that doesn't necessarily just mean down to the goal scoring. It means their overall contribution, and part of that is just the threat to keep opposition players honest. And the thing we saw with with particularly with Laka, you know, he was making the team function better than Aubameyang was, but was there a single defence we came up against that was frightened of him? 
by the end, by the last season, certainly not at all. I mean, maybe in his first year there was a bit of that, but you know, he the Premier League defenders are monsters a lot of the time, physically and and you know, generally technically pretty good as well. You know, the and they would just like stand next to him on the halfway and go, "Well, you can't outrun us, so we're just going to wait until someone passes the ball. We're going to thump you." You know, and we'll sit and you you you'll get a few past us, but you won't be able to break past us and outrun us. So we can defend as hard as we like, which of course then presses the whole team back as well. And one of the big things that we've seen this this we started to see it a bit over the previous couple of seasons, but it's really taken another step forward this year is the fact that you know we're defending on the halfway line like a lot, um, and you know we've just we're just giving us so much control of territory in a way that we haven't been able to have simply because we yeah, opposition teams have, haven't had anything to respect in terms of running in behind that can also perform the role of, of dropping deep when needed. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's, he has been a transformational signing, even if there has always been, and there will always be question marks about his elite level finishing. But we knew that before we bought him. <laughs> Um, I thought also that chance that he twanged off the park came from an interesting development which carried on into the match. And actually, I think, did both our goals come from it? Which was Martinelli coming into the centre and just driving through midfield. And, um, you know, in the third, that first half, he, he's the one that drives into midfield, finds Saka, Saka slips Jesus in. The first goal, I think I'm right in saying... Came, came from Martinelli again, coming into middle, and then yeah, in the, yeah. the the second goal, well, I think he goes into out, and then the Wolves defender tries to see the ball out, and Martinelli nicks it off him. Cheeky back heel for Zinchenko. Um, yeah. I think Martinelli is someone, he's still like, He's such an impressive footballer, but he's someone I look at. He still feels really raw to me. I don't, I don't know how you feel about Yeah, I him. mean, he's a lot less raw than he was, say, 18 months ago. But still, yeah. there are, he, you, he still ha- he plays in the style of a young Tyro uh, who's busting his bollocks to make it all happen. And that's obviously a key part of what he brings. You know, he got, as Tito for Brazil said, you know, he got picked because of that aggression that, that perhaps is not necessarily so much of a ubiquitous trait from Brazilian attackers. Um, but he he still sometimes struggles to know when to slow it down and doesn't have the level of control that a, a more senior player with his skill set might do. Um, but, you know, that's he's 21. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of mental, well, the more you think about it. But... Um, Okay, well, we have to touch on the penalty incident. Uh, okay. So, uh, are, are you sorry with Jamie Redknapp and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, or are you uh, taking the alternative? I don't side? understand how it was. Um, to me, it just looked offside. I thought it was offside, and therefore, in the conversation. Um, but it seems to be that that apparently wasn't the case. It looked, I think, in real time, it looked like coming together. Um when you see the replay, it does feel like we maybe have got away with one. But given that um, Gabriel Martinelli got sent off ridiculously at Molyneux last season and David Luiz the season before that, which, um, you know, 
your referee ran after that came. I think everybody that listens to this podcast will probably still remember. So I, 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 yeah, I think maybe we did get away with one, but I don't care. Fuck it. It's interesting to me that this season, I remember talking after the Man City game last year about the margins that didn't quite go our way. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me this season that we have maybe been a, a, the beneficiary of the margins. Well, we, ha- we have done in some games and in, and in most of the games where we haven't been, it hasn't cost us. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been good I, enough to take advantage of when we've been the beneficiary and good enough to, apart from perhaps dropping, dropping points. Where it's yeah. I mean, I think I would suffer. say that like, Steve Davis seems uh, quite up for having had Willie Saliba sent off last night. And I can understand why it would have made their lives a lot easier. Yeah. But I don't I think to send him off for that would have been quite hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, even uh, if the pen had it, been awarded. I mean, when it comes to is it a penalty or not, I think it comes, I think it's one of those ones that if the ref on the field gives it, it's never going to get overturned. Sure. But the fact he didn't give it, means it's not quite clear enough for them to overturn it unless you've got someone, you know, unless you've got one of the VAR officials who who is kind of re- re-refereeing it rather than <laughs> using, you know, as some of them do, rather yeah, yeah. than using the criteria to which they're guided by. Because it, for me, it was a foul, but it wasn't a particularly egregious foul. And there's, it, it looked like Guedes was trying to make it a foul with the way that he was positioning himself and wasn't fully in control of the ball because of that. Yeah. So it's one of those ones where if it had been given, I could have absolutely no complaints because I think it probably was a foul. But the fact is, is if that was our player and it wasn't given, I wouldn't be able to lose my shit about it either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will say that when I watched it back this morning, and obviously, having watched it in the pub last night, it happened. There was maybe a replay that I might or might not have seen. I obviously didn't hear any of the halftime chat or mm. indeed the post-game chat where they went in on it again. <laughs> um, but I kind of, when it happened, I carried on watching the game and I thought, oh, is that what they were all going on about? Wolves should have had a penalty. So I went back to watch it again. So I think my my reaction to it was, I think, as Steve the ref says to me, it's just football, sometimes that happens. Um, and I, yeah, so I think my instinctive reaction was it wasn't a pen, but I can sort of see why they were a little bit aggrieved. Yeah, but I mean... I think it's one of those ones that whichever side of the argument you take, it's in, if you're being honest, it's impossible to be super strong on that side of the yeah, argument. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think if it was given on the pitch, it would have stayed a pen and we couldn't really have complained about it. I think the fact that it was Mike Dean, who was the VAR um, yesterday, and he, he didn't overturn it, probably tells you it was at least ambiguous. Well, it, it has to be said, the limited exposure we have to Mike Dean on VAR suggests that he's a little more friendly to us when he's not got cameras upon him. Yeah, it's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but, I mean, as for the other point that someone was them suggesting it was a red card, um, well, no, it couldn't be, because you you couldn't call it a red card because 
if you think it was a penalty, then you can only get sent off if you consider penalty if you've made no attempt to play the ball. But given where the feet were, the, no one could suggest that there was no attempt to play the ball there. Sure. Uh, I mean, well, they could, but they'd be lying. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, the whole point that David Luiz getting sent off was was a theoretically no attempt to play the ball. Uh, ignored the fact that he wasn't attempting to play the man either. It was just a a, a, a collision that he may not have done the maximum to avoid, I suppose you could say, if you're being generous to the officials in that one. Yeah. But that one, there was no attempt to play the ball, so at least if there's a justification to reach that conclusion if you're looking for it. But in this one, that justification simply does not exist. Um, in any event, it wasn't given, and they've got refs giving them favours against us three out of the last four games, so they can go fuck themselves as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it's about time a, a good Arsenal team that's performing at a high level started getting the odd breaks from referees every so often you know not ha- when i say breaks from referees i mean not having the worst possible interpretation of every action by an arsenal player which we were getting a couple of years ago you know when they, when we were down we were getting kicked every week but as you say perhaps the tide is starting to turn on that one we shall wait and see how the season unfolds before we reach any full and firm wow. conclusions if um, someone ever gets booked for a foul on Bukayo Saka, that would be uh, something, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, in, wonderful seeing that uh, Arsenal, again, seems to be the only team that can have players booked for diving this season in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did I mean, I watched the Man City-Brentford game and as soon like Brentford scored their goal earlier and obviously City were dominant and, uh, and Brentford were being physical in their defending and they were... You know, some close calls-ish, for sure. But the the regularity with which the City players were hurling themselves to the floor, they obviously were thinking it was the previous week's referee looking to do yeah, that. It was quite funny, actually. Um, I, I didn't turn on that game till the last, well, as it turned out, last 20 minutes. But um, I was having a bit of WhatsApp chat with Steve, the ref, who was listening, and Moda Spurs fan, who was watching... And Steve was like, oh, I've heard they could have had three penalties. And Mo was like, no, they, they, no, there was a handball outside the box and two times. Yeah. Um, it was kind of wild, actually. I was at home thinking, oh, should I turn it on? And I didn't want to jinx it. And then in the end, I just thought, well, if I turn it on and City School, City School. Um, but as it happened, Brentford schooled. Um, it was a rather lovely day to be an Arsenal fan yesterday, which, um, you mentioned Chelsea earlier. Um, so one of the byproducts of being in the pub last night was watching some of the Newcastle Chelsea game mm. and um a camera cut away to a very forlorn looking former member of our parish oh. with about twenty minutes left who didn't make an appearance even when Chelsea needed a goal. Um so um a little bit sorry for him now. Last week, I was all full of hatred. If you'd spoken to me a week and a half ago, I'd have been, ah, Chelsea scumbag. And now I just feel sorry for him. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I did mention it in a podcast during the season. Like, when he went there, I was like, okay. And then as soon as Tuchel got sacked, I was like going, oh, well, he's fucked then, isn't he? Because, yeah. because like, the only reason he went there was for Tuchel. Uh, because Tuchel was a manager that played to his strength when they were at Dortmund together. And as soon as Potter went there, I was like, well, he was not going to play in a way that suits Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Uh, and it, and it, it just seemed to be a move that didn't really make any sense for me, unless it was hastened by the, you know, the attack that, you know, that Herbert suffered when he was in Spain. 
maybe you know maybe that's Barcelona's new tactic for getting high high wages off the wage bill. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I know that's that's uh, that's not for our lawyers' benefit. That's not a serious suggestion. I'm going to step <laughs> over that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, Chelsea look look like they're they're going through a period a bit like what we did when it was when it was all really bad under Arteta. Of basically, what's the identity? What are we trying to do? Are there the players to fit their identity? Only they've got slightly less rubbish players than we had then, and they and they do have the mitigation, of course, of of having a, a couple of key defenders injured at the moment, which is making them look more vulnerable defensively. But I mean, I know, I know some time has passed, so I won't hang on around for too long. But the the game that we won at Stamford Bridge, I mean. For a one nil, that was an absolute stroll, wasn't it? Uh, what's the phrase? Men against boys, was it? <laughs> I just um it was uh as you know, occasionally we do Skype calls. So I was on a call with um Nigel and Chris, who were Arsenal fans, and Steve Deref, QPR. Unfortunately for us, Ray, the Chelsea fan, uh, was at the game. Unfortunately for him, yeah, I was going to say, unfortunately <laughs> for you, I'm not sure about that. Too much about it since, but I don't know what you could say. I mean, like you say, for a one-nil victory, it was just absolute dominance and such a. I know we won there last year, but that was kind of like a mad game that happened yeah. towards the end of the season and obviously we won the year before uh well, in a game one that we could barely were... get out of our box but we still That's managed right, to win. yeah <laughs> um but to go there and and play like that was just incredible re- really and um i just that i think also the the thing again about that game was man city had won the day before yeah so we go to chelsea in a lunchtime kickoff uh which with, if with we very win, little take... with very little break from our european game yeah yeah so if we win that it gets us um back to the top of the league and you know we don't have to think too far back to arsenal teams that have singularly failed in that in that objective and this team not only passed it they passed it with flying colors it was i and i think the other nice thing was Obviously, the game against uh, FC Zurich in the midweek became a bit stressful, didn't it, for the last 20 minutes? And I think once you go to Chelsea and you beat them, then because the Zurich game also ended well, you can forget about that. It wasn't a particularly fun game to watch, but the focus was on finishing the group as leaders, which we've done. But the most important thing that week was to go to Chelsea and beat them. And we did it. And it was a real, like the old cartoon archetype of the tall person with their hand on the short person's head while the short person's swinging away at them. You know, like like the, the, the old, older brother against the against the, the angry but futile younger child. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there wasn't even that much angry swinging. I mean, Chelsea looked defeated before the, long before the end, even though it was only one goal. Well... You know, I, I'm in my mid forties now, and my memory might be failing me a little bit. I don't remember Ramsdale making a save. Well, not not a difficult one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to think we went to Chelsea and restrict, I just like the fact that 
Ray was at the game is I love Ray to bit, so it's nothing against Ray, but he's a Chelsea fan. It's just keeping me warm at night, you know? Um Yeah, I mean Chelsea had one shot on target in the match. Right, so there you go. And it it was not a particularly I mean, Chelsea's best moments were a couple of breaks in the first half where Havertz should have done better to get the ball to an Obamiang had pulled into space. Uh or what that was one of the other ones was a wild cross that didn't go anywhere near anyone. And that was it. I mean Utterly toothless. I mean, I know obviously a part of that's down to the, the incredible control we exerted, a bit like the away game at Brentford, where we just went there and went, yeah, we're going to just take over this. But, I mean, it's one of those ones where it was so one-sided, even though it was only 1-0, you're kind of thinking, are we that good or a Chelsea rubbish? Well, you know I do a prediction league with my mates, so I was doing... um predictions for this weekend <laughs> and I looked at Newcastle Chelsea and I thought oh Chelsea are shit Newcastle are gonna win 3-1 so obviously that was not quite it didn't quite happen that way but I think you know I don't know if you've how much you've seen of that game if anything Newcastle when Newcastle scored that goal had been coming for quite some time yeah, um yeah, yeah. and a lovely finish from uh Joe Willock yeah great finish absolute great goal and uh, suddenly, he, he being a regular in the Newcastle team that is looking like a, a real threat to everyone, is uh, making his transfer see, fee seem a little less pleasing to us than it did at the time of the time it took place. Yeah, uh, maybe. It's kind of a weird one, that game. I was saying to Joe yesterday, I was like, obviously the best result for us would have been a draw, but there's just yeah. something about Chelsea losing, which is just oh, yeah. intrinsically yeah. I mean, more pleasing. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit like when United play Spurs. You know, you want you can't have both lose, but you know who you yeah. want to lose more. <laughs> of course, um, that's gonna, been one, one I'm of just the. Just going to pause things. that there because we're about to okay. run out, and, and then I'll set up the next one in just a cool. moment. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at Chelsea where they are at the moment. I mean, we're 16 points ahead of them. Mental, isn't it? Um, I'll say it's one of the. Nice things at the moment is being able to watch um, other football and enjoying other teams' mishaps. Um, <laughs> I didn't get to see all of Spurs Liverpool last week, but I greatly enjoyed the sight of Eric Diaz's um, attempt to his header back to Hugo Lloris. And of course, that day we'd already had Man United getting gubbed at Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Who won again today? Oh. Sunny, sunny, looking at making Stephen Gerrard look even less. <laughs> yeah, and the week before that, Spurs losing at home to Newcastle. Um, going to the Newcastle game in January, actually, it's um, nervous. Like that's going to be quite an interesting one. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, it's it's funny. I I was uh, watching Mikel Arteta's interview after the game and. Watching him so so relaxed and at ease, you know, we haven't done anything, and I'm sure he'll keep reinforcing that message to the players. But the transformation um, that he's managed to bring to the club, you can actually see it in him in a way. And yeah. I said to Joe, I finished watching that interview, and I just turned around. And I was like, I love him. I love him. <laughs> I feel like right into the right into the club to apologize <laughs> for ever doubting this guy because. He he he's done what he set out to do. Um, what did 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 you hear about the Granite Jacker thing yesterday? 
that's a, well, he, he may have had a little bit of an upset tummy due to the yeah. to a dodgy lasagna, which apparently affected four other players as well, but we, we don't know who they were. Yeah, it was. Um, I um, so this is how sort of clouded my view of the game was last night. I didn't actually realize that he'd been substituted <laughs> until uh, I, I, at some point I was like, oh, Fabio Vieira's on. When did he come on? I, was, I had no idea. Um, but he, he looked proper. Proper uh, pale when he came off the poor fella. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean that's the one thing that made it not so frightening was the fact that it was kind of like this doesn't look like a serious injury. This looks like something else, and the fact that no one's panicking means it can't be anything that bad. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you don't. I loved him. Though. I'll just have a Lucas Aid sport and then I'll carry on because I'm <laughs> granite jacket. <laughs> oh no! I've just sold myself. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and as you alluded to, as sort of what we were talking about before, is Newcastle at this stage appear a far bigger threat to our not just long-term but also short-term ambitions than Chelsea, which I don't think anyone would have anticipated before the season, even though it was very clear that the gloss had worn off at Tuchel time and that the Chelsea squad was one that in need of renewal. Um, but yeah, um, hell. I mean, they're behind Brighton, and Brighton lost today. So that's another another one for the for for the fans of Brighton and Hove Albion to enjoy the fact that they can lose and still be ahead of their ex manager who left them because he wanted to go to a stronger stronger squad. Um, and I suppose that segues vaguely into the fact that uh, Brighton inflicted on us our third defeat of the season in all competitions in a League Cup match that literally no one apart from those in the ground could see. Uh, yeah. Which I was is... in Leeds watching uh, uh, a gig. I was at the Fontaine's DC gig, which was um, great. And the score, actually, it's really, it's happened to me before with the League Cup where I've been at a gig and then Arsenal have lost in the League Cup and I get update. I've got when we lost to Spurs four years ago and my uncle was texting me and he was really cross about it. And I was like, I don't care. I'm at Wolf Alice. <laughs> and, um, I felt about, I was like, if, if there's one season where you can look at the league cup and say, this is really not that important. I think it's this season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I'm sure for the fans that were in the ground, it wasn't a great evening, but um... yeah, well, I mean, Arteta's interviews post-match, you know, showed where the club's priorities were. He was <laughs> super phlegmatic about the defeat. And ultimately, Arsenal was going to want to go out in this round or the next round rather, rather than, if you're not going to win it, go out early. Yeah. Because, but particularly given that if they progressed past, I think it, uh, were in the next round, which would have been sort of just after Christmas when things are picking up again, or possibly even just before, actually. I can't remember when those games have been scheduled for, but it would have been just as things are starting up again. Then you would have found yourself getting involved in in fixtures right in the middle of January, where Arsenal have an insane run of extremely challenging fixtures. Uh, and the last thing you want is some bloody League Cup fixtures getting in the way, frankly. Yeah. Uh, given the fixture list we've got in January, I mean, it, what in January we've got yeah, because uh, on Boxing Day we got West Ham at home. They're on way to Brighton on New Year's Eve, which would be very tricky. And then on the third we were at home to Newcastle. Then a couple of weeks after that we're away at Spurs, and the next week we've got Man United. 
Um, and there's a very good chance in that break between the two, we might have the Man City game that got postponed, rescheduled. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and January is going to be a tricky month. And the last thing you would have wanted was to have some, you know, League Cup fixture stuck in the middle of that, which you'd have very little... <laughs> very little incentive to, to really commit to given the other fixtures that are taking place at the time um yeah i mean what, what what's what are the next set of fixtures and to say yeah there would have been in, the fourth round would have been in december uh we would have been away at charlton just before christmas and then you would have found yourself having more fixtures in january after that and you know given how low a priority the league cup is anyway we don't need any of that nonsense thank you very much um, but I mean, from the game, I mean, I saw some highlights and obviously heard reports and people were there. It seems like the, the rebirth of Reese Nelson continues. Mm. She's very pleased. I told you he could be a solution. <laughs> <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've actually, um, you know, it's been so long since we last spoke. I've been, I was at the Nottingham Forest game. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, obviously, we're not going to spend too long on that because that was quite a few weeks ago now. But there were a few raised eyebrows when um, Reese came on for Bukayo Saka. But I think, in the context of the game as it was, it actually made sense because Forest were being quite physical. And I think Fabio Vieira may have struggled with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, obviously, we weren't quite expecting uh, Nelson's two very tidy finishes. Um, and he and he got an assist um yeah. Thomas Partey. Indeed. Although as I said to the grandfather, I don't I'm not sure you can call that an assist exactly. No, I think you can because for yes, of course it's mostly on party, but for but party to be able to strike that ball, the weight of the pass to him has to be perfect. For him to step in and have to break his stride. I accept that. I was right behind Thomas Partey. We were in the clock end, right behind the party as he hit that, and as soon as he hit it, it was like, Well, that's a goal. <laughs> that's going in there's no way that's not going to be a goal um, yeah it was a good day um, but um, I think you know we've talked a lot about cover for Bakai Saka and it's clear that Nelson's not at that level but I, there aren't many wide players I don't think in the Premier League they're at the level of Bakai Saka um, and particularly not at the moment there's some of those that might be considered aren't in the greatest of form actually mm. well, I have to say uh, rather annoyingly, Kulusevsky at Spurs is is a proper player, and, and of course he's someone that we were linked with before he went on. He's still technically on loan there, but I think they, they've almost got the deal signed up. Which is annoying because he's a childhood Arsenal fan as well. You know what I'd really want, obviously, is for Spurs to finish somehow, find themselves, find a way to finish sixth, and us to hijack that deal in the summer and get him to come to us and <laughs> to be our backup for Bukayo Saka. But I'm not sure he'd volunteer for that role anyway. <laughs> yeah, so. um I feel a bit sorry for Saka actually because he um, he probably should have had a goal against Chelsea last week and Gabriel nicked it off him. Well, I don't blame Gabriel for making no, sure. No. And of course, yesterday um, Erdegaard just beats him to the tapping. Um, it was a lovely play by Fabio Vieira as well. Yes. Um, we should yeah. acknowledge. Um, yeah, cause I yeah, think he's and, had quite a difficult few weeks. And a very um, good reverse pass into him from uh, Gabriel. Indeed. Uh, pre-assist uh and yeah that that i think that led to the 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 highest xg chance one can ever get really 
Yeah. <laughs> Closing on a ball about a foot off the a foot off the goal line it, with no intervening defenders. That'd have been pretty pretty difficult to miss that one. Um Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's sort of hard to know, you know, normally we well not normally, we spent a lot of the last five or six years at this point of the season season angst ridden and wondering and wondering what can be done to make things better. Uh and now we're looking at going what can be done to make things sustained, which is obviously very yeah, and, and I guess that you know I know it's not your, not your bag, baby, but uh, you know it is inevitably going to lead us to some questions about the transfer market in January, given that Arteta is making it pretty clear that re- reinforcements will be requested, and the fact that Stan was over to see not Stan, uh, Josh was over to see uh, both a statement winner at at Chelsea but probably was still in the country to see see limp defeat uh, not well I mean it wasn't that bad against Brighton I mean Brighton were, were dominant early on and then took their chances while Arsenal didn't um, despite a great finish ready which is notable for that game good that was a lovely really, goal wasn't it I have to say a that. really good goal yeah uh, that's important for him and, and, and indeed us probably for the rest of the season um, but I guess without going into Transfer speculation, TM, because I know that's, mm. as I say, it's not your thing. What what kind of business do you think we could and should do in January without going into like specifics? Well, I think I think actually yesterday gave gave a hint as to like, does Bukayo Saka have a future in the middle of the pitch? And I still. You know, Arsenal went after Rafinha, who plays in that position in the summer. So there's obviously some thought being given, A, to moving Saka um, and also providing backup. But I guess, like again, as I've just said, you know, to get a player at the level of Bukayo Saka on that side of the pitch, there aren't many of them around. So if they were to be able to get Somewhat, God, I'm tying myself up in knots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe I'll start that sentence again. Um, I think a, a right sided, I, I still feel like Reese Nelson's got something to offer. So actually, I'm not, I'm not sure that I would I would go for a. Isn't Reese better off the left? I don't know, is he? <laughs> well, uh, traditionally has been. I mean, okay. we don't know so much about his senior career because that's been a bit stuff. stuff well, stuff, I, I think I wouldn't be too... I, I do feel feel we need to lessen our reliance on Bukayo Saka because one thing I took out of the Nottingham Forest game, apart from the fact that it was nice to finally have 20 shots in the game and give someone a proper hammering, hmm. was the tremor that went round the ground when we all realised Bukayo Saka was not going to be able to carry on. Um, but I also look at that and I think... Look, uh up front do we need an alternative an alternative to Gabriel Jesus that isn't Eddie and Ketia? I I can s- sort of see an argument for that. I think the main one for me though would be competition for Thomas Partey because it seems to me that Sambi Lukonga might be the guy in the future, but I don't think he's the guy now. And yeah. I think if um my mate Harry was in touch with his typically negative thoughts about the game last night. And one <laughs> of them was, oh, Partey's been shit. And I don't think he was, actually. I thought he actually he misplaced a few passes. Yeah, um, he wasn't at his best. but He wasn't, he wasn't as good as he was last week. I think that's yeah. fair to say. Um, but 
if he was to be unavailable for any period of time, Arsenal would miss him quite dramatically. Yes. And Despite that's a worry. Despite the return of, of El Nene. Yeah, I just, I think the thing about Partey is, is a, you know, he 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 can play those quick little passes, and he he, he gets the ball forward, doesn't he? And I think yeah. El Nene doesn't quite do that in the same way, if at all. Yeah, I mean, the, th- um, the frustrating thing about El Nene is very occasionally he has games where he does it, and you're like, you actually are quite good at that, but he just. It's just not in his mindset, not the way he plays. Because there was yeah. a couple of games where he was sort of parachuted in at the end of last season before the, with the wheels fell off on at the end when we all ran out of players. But there was a couple of games when he was like playmaking from this position. And I was like, yeah. hmm. <laughs> but, but then as soon as the pressure bit and we were had the games we were struggling in, he, he reverted to five-yard backwards passes. But- and that's kind of what I mean. I think Partey has that responsibility and he accepts it and he takes yeah. it on and he won't always get it right. But nobody gets it right all the time. Um, you know, the footballing robot has not been invented, although Arsene came very close with Thierry and Patrick. <laughs> um, but um, he does feel like someone Arsenal would miss. And I think it kind of, it's all about the moving parts in the team, isn't it? If Zinchenko's available, maybe we're less reliant on Partey because he gets into midfield and he is technically a very, very good footballer. Mm. Um, and Ben White also on on the other side, you know, another um, congratulations to him on his belated England call-up. By about the way. time, yeah. Exactly. Um, so... I, I think there are mitigations, but I do feel that he is the one player that Arsenal would really miss. And I think, you know, I do, you know, we like Eddie, but to be reliant on him for a, a great period of time up front, apart from anything else, if we're reliant on him up front, where's the backup for him if Gabriel Jesus gets injured? Mm. I mean, I um, think, well, I think there is a, a key player that sort of ties into a lot of these questions because of the knock-on effects of others that could move if this player were available, which is Emil Smith-Rowe. You know, I think a lot of our decision-making will depend on where he's at with his injury and his recovery from said injury by the time the game is restart again. Because, of course, he can play left, which changes the way we play left, but it does mean in a pinch he could play Martinelli up front. He can do a job at number 10. He could or, or in a, he could probably do some sort of job to, in this new system with the two eights, which, you, you know, means at worst, although it'd be far from ideal, you could drop Xhaka back if, or you could rest Xhaka. You know, he's a player that offers a lot of versatility, and quality in different aspects of his game, which gives us just gives us more options, uh, and I think would influence what business we would do, um, because we wouldn't be worrying about trying to cover five positions. We could be worried about covering two or three positions, particularly if we'd also brought in someone that was flexible. I'd completely forgotten about him. <laughs> not not in a general sense, but during this conversation. Oh yeah, Mill Smith Rowe, of course. The man who saved Arteta's job, probably. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, obviously, hopefully he comes back fit and ready to go. And no, well, yeah, 
<laughs> what else? Yeah, <laughs> there isn't anything else to say there. I mean, one thing we have definitely missed is his ability to come off the bench and just finish chances. Yeah. Because uh, even though he, he, even though he kind of shouldn't be in many ways, he's as good a finisher as as most of the you know probably almost anyone in our squad. You look at the way the goals he was scoring last season, and they weren't a lot of them were not high percentage chances, and he just was like, yeah, I'm just going to roll it relatively slowly into the absolute postage stamp corner of the goal <laughs> and make it look like it, uh, it's not a thing. And oh, we missed that quality last season. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful but, goal. But you know, there were so many goals where he's just basically, I'm just going to arrive and stick it in the net, and it's not going to be like particularly spectacular. It's just going to get get it in there, you know. And uh, that's the one thing we've had, we've struggled with a bit this season is chance conversion. You know, we are creating more than we are scoring, uh, which is obviously true of a lot of teams. But um, our best attacking players are not necessarily the most confident finishes. I mean, Bakayo Saka's a great player, but his finishing is not reliable. It can be excellent, but it's not reliable. Jesus, we've already discussed, and, and, and Martinelli can be a great finisher, but again, hasn't got that coldness in front of goal, which I think, you know, which which we do have a shortage of squad-wise as a whole. And it's not to say that Smith-Rowe should start ahead of any of those, but certainly... There have been a number of games recently where just to having someone off the bench who can carry the ball and carry a goal threat would have made such a difference. Oh, 100%. 100%. Um, I'm not going to say it's gone. Okay. Well, I'm 45, it happens. Well, uh, as someone who is a few months younger than you, <laughs> uh, I'm sort of going to take us back to the league table and just sort of... See what we think. Well, obviously, look at that shiny, shiny little red thing at the top. Oh, lovely. But um, yeah, obviously, we are now, whether we want to or not, involved in a discussion about a title race against the all-killing Terminator robots of Manchester City. Mm. Um, but ultimately, you know, top four was the pre-stated aim. Uh, it will, it will be something. There will be wobbles coming, and we don't know how they'll react or if we get injuries so we do still have to keep mindful of people competing for us in that it looks like united uh, i think they're winning as we speak uh i think they're still winning against oh no fulham have just equalized oh wow <laughs> good Go on, <laughs> uh, that, that, that'd be rather rather helpful um which would keep them below spurs having both teams having played a game more than us um which which would be good from our perspective but Liverpool winning, and but they're still only up in six, and they're still fifteen points behind us. I mean, obviously, if you if you're looking at a team that when they get their players back after the after the World Cup could go on an amazing run, Liverpool definitely. Yeah, I I still I think I do think it'll be difficult for them to make top four. Well, I say that. I say I, that. Let me just look at the. There's well, there's seven there's, points there's behind a, Spurs with a game in hand. Yeah, so it, actually, it won't be that difficult for them to make top four, but it might be difficult for them to catch us and Manchester City. Yeah, um, I think even if they were to go go on a run like that, I I said to Joe earlier, I did a quick bit of maths last night, and I realised that we've still got thirteen home games to play. Yeah, which were we to win all of those, 
were we to win all of those <laughs> all of those <laughs> um would take us to so that's 39 points wouldn't it? 39 that's points awesome. so that would be 76 points and that's just on the home games so yeah. i i mean something ridiculous is going to have to happen to us not to get champions league at least I yeah, I mean, well, Scott Willis, who's who's connected to the Arsenal Vision podcast, but it's also definitely worth a, f- a follow on Twitter for his uh, his statistical analysis. Is under o, at o underscore that underscore crab. He's done a he's been doing a running simulated points distribution, simulated sort of outcomes of the season where we are, and you know, Ar- Arsenal now have a according to his model, which is generally pretty accurate by seasons gone past. Arsenal are now 30% chance of winning the title, uh, looking at remaining fixtures and previous results and what, what, what have you, but a, a 98% chance of finishing in the champ- in a Champions League spot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wrote a piece for Daily Cannon last week, I think, basically, so I just think our home form now is so strong that we will pick up enough points to get into the Champions League, almost regardless of what happens away. But also, our away form's really good as well, isn't it? So yeah, and we've and um, the fact we've played eight away games and six home games, and, and find ourselves top is is really impressive. And admittedly, we, admittedly, some of the away games we've got coming up. I and I think that's the really only challenging. yeah. <laughs> Why I'm not thinking about the league title at all is because we still have to go to Man City, we still have to go to Newcastle, we still have to go to Spurs, Liverpool, yeah. Brighton, Chelsea. We've just ticked off the list. Um, yeah. Uh, so they are going to be tough away games. And, you know, I you, you could almost look at January and think, well, it's entirely possible that Arsenal don't get any points out of that month. I don't think that's what will happen. Mm-hmm. Um so- but it, I don't think you can discount it as a possibility, even with this Arsenal side. But looking at the form table, and you like, well, apart from Newcastle, who have gone berserk in the last five games, we we're, we're showing the best form in the top four as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's very, what's going to be really interesting, and is a thing that none of us can predict, which is part of what makes this season such a curate's egg is the fact that there's a bloody world cup Indeed. to start and the big question is can we a can we can our players avoid injury b can we get any reinforcements and c can things click the same way after the world cup as they have done before it and, yeah. and you know for lots of teams we just do not know the answer to that you know and and in a way, Newcastle are going to be the most likely beneficiaries because they're going to have the least players at the World Cup out of their starters. And it should do Spurs some good as well for similar reasons. Um, but, you know, for all the rest of the competing teams, we just don't know what shape our players are going to be in. We don't know how quickly they are going to hit the ground running as a unit again. And obviously for us, it's been the, the team and the coaching and the integration, which have been such a huge part of our success. I mean, don't get me wrong, our players are good, but on paper, they're not that much better than players at some of our rival teams. You know, I mean, Man United have a deep squad, uh, but they're still finding out, working out who they are. Um and uh, obviously Spurs seem to be operating on a basis of having 
three amazing attacking players and and one or two decent bench options in that region. Some workmanlike but quite good midfielders and a, a ropey defence. I mean, Jesus, against Leeds yesterday, how Spurs won that game. My God. I mean, I mean it's, it's partly a reflection on Spurs being a team that basically seems to win games despite being outshot and outchanced in two thirds of them. Mm. Um, but Leeds, Leeds are so unlucky. <laughs> like Leeds yeah. are the only team that that have statistically outplayed us by any significance this season. Uh, and we were very lucky to win that game. Yeah, uh, on the balance of play. Uh, but they've been done that to quite a lot of teams, and they keep on not winning. I uh, guess it was asking too much to expect Spurs to lose three times in a row at home in the Premier League. Well, quite. <laughs> uh, but I mean, they should have done. That's the thing. You look at. I mean, technically, they had a higher xG than you know than than Leeds yesterday. But that's because Leeds basically buckled. Mm. The game went on, and that Spurs' first goal was a close-range finish from their top marksman you know, <laughs> that, that should never have been allowed to stand in any set of rules anywhere. Um, but hey-ho. Um, but yeah, you look at the other teams around us in the league and it's only City that there is to be scared of, really, because everyone else is either flawed or, you know, in terms of just the quality of players at their disposal, or are just going through massive periods of change. I mean, we've, we've discussed Chelsea. I mean, who, who the hell knows what their identity is at the moment? It's certainly they don't. Um, and Man United are kind of finding an identity under Ten Hag, but still don't look convincing. You know, even when they're winning games, they don't, they don't look convincing. Um, and it's only really us, Newcastle to a degree, and Man City, who are kind of looking like they're better than the people they're playing more often than not, I guess is the way I'd put it. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's all about can we pick up where we left off as far as that's concerned. And uh, the proof of the pudding and all that. <laughs> so just before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to touch on? Two things. Pre-World Cup. I've, no, not about the World Cup. No, I, but I just wanted Cup. to. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to. Um, somebody on Twitter. <laughs> I, I just saw this. Went somebody on Twitter. I'll read the tweet. Went went to transfer mark to find the truth behind this Özil and Erdegaard hiding in away games narrative. Erdegaard needs just four more away goals to match Özil's career tally at Arsenal. Lol. Yeah. That was for, from RL underscore comps. But I, I just mean, thought that was quite I mean, funny. I mean, given that Ozil spent the best part of two years taking away games off. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, it was really a tidy finish from him uh, for the second one. I, I know yeah, that would have yeah. pleased my uncle. I haven't spoken to him about it yet, but Erdegaard being the top scorer this season is uh, very, will be a very welcome development in the Gill household. Um, and the second thing, which I kind of mentioned earlier, was um, my friend James was at the game yesterday, Craddock, and um, he said, uh, not sure if it was picked up on the cameras, but Zinchenko deliberately hung back at the end of the celebrations to make sure he was last off, turned to the crowd, applauded and kissed the badge. 
he got a fair bit of support after the minute silence. I expect he probably recognised that. It was a nice moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's also, you know, he's a childhood Arsenal fan as well. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Which doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, Erdegaard is just... Ozil was the ephemeral genius, wasn't he, who could do things and see things that no one else could and even painted his own type of finish. But he, not at any club, not even at Bremen, uh, where he was excellent as a young player, he, he was never in the trenches player. And... Um, and Arsenal away games, you know, and away games in the Premier League often have that feel about them. <laughs> and that's that's not his his greatest idiom. Also, a player like Ozil, I, I, stylistically, is more dependent on the competence of those alongside him to have an impact, I think. Because uh, because so much of what he did was seeing things other people didn't. If he was playing with people that didn't see them either, it was a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did think it was interesting watching the game this morning and just the work that Odegaard does do defensively and also yes, that's the, big the, difference, yeah. the way he's able to keep the ball. So the ball comes out to him and he might be on the edge of the box and he might be surrounded by two players and he might only have one foot, but he still manages to find a way out and find a pass or get past the player if he needs to. Um, I think... <laughs> He's a lot more robust than Meza ever was, even yeah. though even though even though Urza was actually a better athlete. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just think you need obviously you need that in away games because you can't just go there and play. It's that cliche, isn't it? You have to earn the right. And uh, actually I think that's exactly what Arsenal did yesterday. They earned the right to play. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, the Premier League is not like other leagues, you know. As as Bukayo Saka is increasingly finding out, refs do just let people kick you if you're skillful and don't and don't play for one of two or three. Uh, that one teams. at Chelsea last week. I mean, you know, sometimes Correa, nasty little yeah, shit, oh, isn't fuck. it? It was a fucking foul. Just give him the foul. And then actually, I thought his tackle back on him was actually fine i mean it might have been a foul but it wasn't worthy of a booking of course it's he's it, retaliating yeah it's, um, yeah it's it's because he was clearly pissed off and the ref and referees are, are, are like a lot of people in put in positions of control are not immune to their own egos interfering in their decision making and when they do something which is clearly irritating the opposing player and has led to a reaction to that player then the referee yeah. is always more likely to stamp down on it. Although I will say, you know, for all the terrible officiating we have seen this season, I have also seen a few games this season of, where I've been really impressed with the refs. I mean, Michael Oliver continues to show that even though he's not perfect, he is still a really top quality referee and the best one we have. But like I've seen, you know, uh, like I thought Peter Banks for the City-Brentford game yesterday, under an immense amount of pressure, did a really good job and basically was vindicated in every call he made. Yeah. Uh, of, of certainly many significance. And, you know, what, I'm someone that gives refs a hard time, so I do think it's important that I also recognise that, you know, there are some of them out there that are either very good or are getting better, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just on that City-Brentford game, just finally on that, um, when, uh, who was it that... Broke up the pitch. I can't remember for the for the winning goal. Someone um, ran up the pitch. 
was it Visser? And then he, yeah. he passed it to De Silva, ex That's right. Player. When he passed it to De Silva, I was like, no, what have you done that for? That's the wrong ball. That's the wrong ball. And then, of course, he slides it across and Tony yeah. scores and carries that. Well, well, De Silva was like, all this time, I've made you think that I cannot use my right foot. Ah. <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit, bit like the princess bride <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not actually left-handed <laughs> um but yeah joe looked at me and said no that was the right ball pool <laughs> back in your box <laughs> yeah it was a bit of a shame they didn't get the third because that really should have um yeah particularly for tony himself it would have been a nice two fingers to southgate for yes you keep on picking center halves that can't run or defend but you won't pick pick the premier league second top goal scorer despite he's a weird he's guy been... gareth southgate isn't he <laughs> Yeah, well, he's he, he's got he's got built this club mentality. And he's got very loyal to certain people, even when those people are no longer deserving of his loyalty. But we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, suppose Spurs may put a message on our WhatsApp saying, "Oh, penny for Southgate's thoughts after that game." Yeah. <laughs> and Steve, the ref, goes, "I'm an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> Bit harsh. Uh, <laughs> Um, just before we finally wrap up, just for the last couple of minutes, just a, a shout out to the Arsenal women who, uh, like the men, are top of the league. Only they're undefeated, have conceded one goal all season, and are breaking all kinds of records about longest winning runs carrying over from last season and, you know, goals not conceded. No and wonder Arteta wants more out of his boys. Well, indeed. But also, uh, the under-21s, also top of their league. Uh, a point ahead of Liverpool under 21s after 11 games played. Again, no defeats. We're liking this theme. We're liking this theme running through the club. And what's even better about the under 21 league is uh, guess who's bottom? Oh, Spurs. <laughs> no no wins in 13 games. Lovely. So Did you see? Then, so, apart from a couple of exciting prospects, they've got the rest of their <laughs> systems of shit. Did you see, I think it was a Man City Champions League game that Danny Mills was uh, talking through on Sky Sports and he was talking about them and then within seconds he turned it into a diatribe about Arsenal and why Mikel Arteta had thrown Ethan Wanneri into yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on, what was the point in doing that? Oh, fucking hell, mate. That that not yeah, it's all right. We can all still remember Thierry Henry making it look like a mug. <laughs> it's a bit strange that he's still so scarred by that nearly 20 years later. Well, it's a bit like the fact that, you know, I mean, obviously, you can understand the hypocrisy is why it's not mentioned, but why Richard Keyes is far more exercised about um, Arteta wandering outside his uh, his uh, technical area or Arsenal players celebrating than he is, a, he is about the fact that the World Cup's taking place at somewhere where there's human rights abuses, the stadium's been built off the back of slavery and uh, and uh, lots of people are not going to be allowed to go or feel able to go because of their sexual orientation or other matters. But hey, Richard Keyes is a tosser. I don't think anyone can really offer any real disagreement to that. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> on that pearl of wisdom and i think we're going to wrap up so uh thank you listeners if you got this far i hope you've enjoyed us being top of the league as much as we are and us talking about it and thank you to paul for talking to us about it thank you for having me have a lovely weekend or rest of the weekend and week everyone <laughs>